official Rutgers SCCD Lab podcast, SCCD On Demand. This episode is sponsored by the beloved community initiative here at Rutgers University. My name is Erica Tan and I'm a second year graduate student in the Master of Applied Psychology program. I'm a research assistant on the digital communications and social media team at the SCCD Lab. I'm joined here today to meet with Corinna Hernandez alongside my wonderful co-host Sabrina Quinones. Thanks, Erica. So my name is Sabrina Quinones. I'm also in my second year of the Master of Applied Psychology program here at Rutgers, and I'm excited for today's episode and co-hosting with Erica. Awesome. So now it is our pleasure to introduce today's guest, Corinna Hernandez. Corinna is the Senior Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Douglas Residential College, the Women's College at Rutgers University, New Brunswick. At Douglas, she serves as the chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion College Committee, which applies a holistic approach to DEI strategy, including institutional level initiatives, academic experiences, student leadership opportunities, and community building programs. Karina also serves on the Advancing Women in Computer Science Working Group at the university with the Computer Science Department, external evaluators, and other key stakeholders as a research assistant. She is also on the Big Ten Academic Alliance Advancing Undergraduate Women in STEM Working Group. She's a staff mentor for undergraduate women and has taught Douglas's signature course, Knowledge and Power, Issues in Women's Leadership. She also teaches at the Rutgers Honors College, the inaugural cultural competency course for incoming first-year students. She is currently pursuing a doctorate in education with a focus on culture and society at the Rutgers Graduate School of Education. Her research focuses on undergraduate Black and Latina women's experiences in computer science. Corinna is a founding executive board member of Be The Change New Jersey, a community service nonprofit organization focused on homelessness, relief, and food justice in New Jersey. Corinna, we are so excited to meet with you today. Please tell us about your day. How are you doing? How's your day going? Yeah. Thank you so much, Erica and Sabrina. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Everything is good. It's still cold outside. It's April, so I'm not that happy about that. But and it's such a busy time in the semester. So, um, but you know, I'm grateful to be here, and I'm just excited to be in conversation with you on this really important topic. Something that I think is close to your heart and definitely close to my heart as well. So I'm excited. Yes, we're glad to get the conversation going. Um, and so to start it off. Um, we always like to ask our viewers who are listening and learning about President Holloway's Beloved Community Initiative, um, we'd like to ask you, what does Beloved Community mean to you? Thank you. Um, I love this question. I, I think that um, when President Holloway came in and announced that this was, you know, kind of his guiding principle for Rutgers, um, it really excited me. I When I think of Beloved Community, I really do think of a space and place that's both physical um, and spiritual connected to our students, to faculty, to staff, and where everyone feels included, um, celebrated, where they're in community with people that are um, different from them and also people that are the same, right? And that we can be in a space that celebrates both of those things at the same time. Um, it also to me means like a spirit of excellence that we know our students, um, our faculty and our staff are going to thrive here and continue to build, you know, for students building and starting their own career, for faculty and staff also advancing their own career purposes in a space where, again, people feel included, loved, respected, celebrated, um, and they can really show up to be their authentic self. So, um, you know, being in that, the spirit of that and having President Holloway set that as the mission is something that I know we take very seriously at Douglas, um, something that we as staff members and folks who teach students at the university also bring it into our classrooms. So it's, you know, it's an exciting vision and um, an exciting thing to be a part of here. Yes, I definitely agree. And I think you worded that so beautifully. And um, I definitely eloquently said, and this question that we have for you kind of expands on what you've already talked about, but um, essentially how have you experienced the beloved community at Rutgers, the university, whether it be your role as a teacher or just mm -hmm. as a community member on our campus? 
Yeah. So I'm really grateful to be in a lot of different spaces here um, at Rutgers and serve a lot of different roles, as you heard in my bio. So I'm actually a staff <laughs> member, a student, and a part-time faculty member. So I wear all three of those hats during any given point of the semester. And so I guess I can start with me being a staff member because it's one of you know the largest part of, of my role here. And just being a staff member at Douglas, um, being surrounded by mostly women, other women staff members, um, us being in conversation about what it means to lead with a feminist perspective, about what it means to lead other women students, um, what it means to appreciate that the experience of being a woman is not the same for all women. Um, and so being able to be in conversations and, um, you know, do some scholarship work around that um, as a staff member at Douglas has been incredibly important to myself personally, but also professionally. Um, and then in the classroom, as a faculty member, I get to interact with undergraduate students. I work mostly with first-year students. Um, and so that's always a special population to me because it's such a big transition for students who are mostly coming from like a high school experience and moving into higher education. And that you know, they're, they're so excited, but they don't know what they don't know yet. Um, and most of the students that I've interacted with have this like social justice mindset. So, you know, being at the Honors College and being at Douglas, um, students are coming in and they really want to make a change, but they don't know where to start, right? They want to make a change, but they don't know the history behind a particular problem. And so being able to work with students and sort of guide them through that process of what it looks like to address social justice issues um, is really special to me. And then finally, I'm a student myself at the Graduate School of Education, so I get the chance to, you know, be sitting in those seats where I'm learning something from a very experienced faculty members at the GSE. And um, being able to just learn how to be a better educator for students has meant so much to me because there was so much I didn't know going into higher education. Like, what does it mean to be able to be in a leadership role and serve all students, truly serving all students? Um, and so being at the GSE, I've been able to learn more about um, inclusive pedagogies where I can really be that leader for students that learn differently, that look differently, that, you know, pray differently, that are from different countries. Um, how do you deliver an education? to students who are all different like each and every student is their own individual person in the classroom and so just wearing those three different hats has taught me um, you know what it means to be in a beloved community and how you can um, be in these different positions and be in positions of power and be in positions of learning and be in both sometimes um, I've just learned that the community here at Rutgers really does um, care about beloved community and they really do show it in a special way, whether you're student, faculty or staff. And I can say that because I wear all three of those hats. <laughs> I think it's great that you come from that sort of background, um, especially and then in turn working with other students. So like you have that um, you're able to relate to them in a different way that some faculty, you know, that may not be able to. And so yeah. um I think that that's a great thing. Um, and so kind of talking about identity, you bring up that um, something that we talked about in last podcast with Dr. Chaco. Um, and I think it's always important to discuss and identity and the relation to um, social emotional learning um, and um, SEL in the classrooms. And so I guess what to kind of transition more into to that topic, mm -hmm. how do you see social emotional work um, implemented in your communities, you know, and, and its relation mm -hmm. to like identity work and just mm -hmm. in general, um, in what ways can you see that being implemented in, in working with your students and even you as a student in higher education? Yeah. So I think that in my philosophy of education as a whole is this idea of using it as a tool for social justice. Um, like that's my framework. I feel no matter what major students are here that they can use um, their career choice to do something positive for the world to make change. Right. And so um, it's hard to make that change unless we're really aware of who we are as individuals of about who where we come from about our um social status in this country and what that means and so when i talk to students i 
usually try to start them there. It's like, I know you want to go out and change the world. I know you want to go out and, you know, help this community. But first, we need to talk about you. Who are you? Where do you come from? What um, power and privileges do you have? How can we build on your strengths as a person so that way when you go into those communities to do the work that you're doing it in a way that's authentic, that's meaningful. And so um, social emotional learning has everything to do with that. I mean, we have to know who we are and and our status um, before we can go out and quote unquote help. And I say that because sometimes we go in and we're not really helping, we're hurting, right? Because we don't, we don't have that um, awareness of who we are as people. And so for me, it's like a scaffolding. Like we have to know um, who we are. Um, we have to be able to explore that. We have to get to know other people and know who they are and kind of learn about their experiences. And then we have to come together to figure out what mutually beneficial relationships can we have with one another that are uplifting in both ways. Um, and, you know, with that said, I always talk to my students about, um, you know, are you going in with a deficit approach? Are you looking at this particular community or population as all they have are these have nots? Or are you looking at it more holistically where you can say, um, you know, these people are resourceful, these people know this, these people um, can fill my cup in different ways of things that I don't know, right? And so I think that so you have to be able to be in touch again with yourself and, and your feelings, your emotions, and be able to dialogue across differences in order to have that the real impact. And so I look at education as the outlet of um, or as a way to do social justice work um, because it's very it's deeply personal um, but it scaffolds so that way you could move from the personal to the group to the conversation to the issue to the solution so it's it's kind of you know like the step-by-step process that has to happen I think you worded that so perfectly and you tie in the um the component of social awareness as well as um, mm-hmm. you really like focus on self-awareness like that is essentially the most important piece of social justice as well as like being mm-hmm. able to be a working member of the community and knowing how to work with your community and uh, mm-hmm. self-awareness is one of the biggest components of SEL and SECD mm-hmm. social emotional character development um, mm-hmm. and your discussion about like needing to know yourself before you can know others is really important and sound. And I definitely agree with that. And that's something that I too try to live by. Like it's important to Mm -hmm. know what you are able to do and know your strengths and know your weaknesses essentially. So that way you can know how to, I guess, be like the chess piece on the, like the board with the board representing Mm -hmm. the rest of the community. And um, I guess the other chess pieces Mm -hmm. being other community members. Um, and I guess that kind yeah. of relates to um, absolutely. Yeah, I guess that kind of relates to um, I guess the work that you've done with um, Be the Change for um, New Jersey. It, and I know we mentioned before that that's like a nonprofit um, dedicated to community service. And for those that aren't, aren't listeners and viewers who are not really aware, it's a community a nonprofit that is dedicated to community service and activism projects that essentially help to promote peace and nonviolence in urban neighborhoods. Um, So how do you think the mission at this organization relates to social emotional learning and social emotional character development? Yeah, absolutely. And I just before I answer that question, I do want to back up to something that you mentioned about like self awareness and learning about yourself and that sometimes um, the best way to do social justice work is like within your own communities. So like, sometimes it's not about learning about yourself to go out and help other communities, but it's learning about yourself. So you can be like, okay, this is what my community needs to do collectively um, to be able to make a difference. Um, So but I think that so Be the Change NJ is a very, very special nonprofit organization um, to me. I started volunteering there when I was an undergraduate at Kane University. Um, and it is just, it embodies all of these things that we're talking about in practice. Um, so it's 100% volunteer based. No one is paid. So 100% of our donations go out the door into the communities. And we really spend a lot of time working with our volunteers Um in getting to know them and who they are and what their priorities are. Um, So we ask them, why do you want to be here? Why do you want to volunteer and do this project? Um, You know, why do you want to 
make a difference in the community. So we really try to get them to answer those questions. Um, the other thing is, is we work with people who sometimes don't know the answers to those questions, but they show up anyway because they have like good intentions. And so we try to really work with them on, okay, we understand that maybe you're in this particular um, financial bracket where you can give a lot of money and that's great. But like, how can you make this work more meaningful to your life and to your family? Um, and I will, will share a quick story about something that happened in our in our organization a few years ago, this was before COVID, um, we were doing a Easter egg hunt for Easter in one of our neighborhoods. And one of our volunteers said, you know, the kids have to decorate Easter eggs. This is what my kids did. This, they just have to do it. So I'm going to bring some boiled eggs to this garden, this community garden, and we're going to have the kids decorate these eggs. And it's going to be this, you know, spectacular thing for the kids. Great intentions, beautiful idea. We get to the space, we're working with the kids and the kids are cracking the eggs and eating them because they're hungry. And this was a perfect example of someone who, who I love very much. Actually, we're, we're very good friends, having the best intentions and not completely understanding the, the social impact of what it means to be doing work in a community that um, does not have a lot of resources. And so she like, you know, this broke her to her core, right? Like she was like, I can't believe that I didn't see this as an issue or see this as a problem. Like I went in thinking I was going to give them this experience that I gave my kids. And so again, it's about learning about the communities, learning about yourself, um, and learning about how you can fill those those in-between gaps, right? And so um, I think that has everything to do with, you know, character development too in, in our volunteers is that they have to know who they are as people, what their intentions are, and what they bring to the work. Um, and it's very easy to suss out the non-authentic people in that space. Um, but I'm very proud of the organization. We have um, just hundreds of volunteers that come out to many different projects throughout the year. And um, this is something that we hold near and dear to our heart that you have to be there for the right reasons. And if you're not, or if you're not willing to do the work, then, you know, we can't have you there. We can't have you doing more harm to the communities and the populations that we're trying to help. And like I said, I'm so proud of everyone who's a part of it because I think we have the most authentic group of volunteers, um, the best leadership that's out there, that's not paid to do this work, um, doing this work. So um, I would be happy to give you all more information about the organization too, if any of the listeners want to get involved or volunteer. Yeah, definitely. We'll link link it in everything related to the podcast that we have here. Um, thank but thank you, you so much great. for sharing that story. Um, really, you sometimes when you're in the work, you don't realize just how much what you're doing means. Mm -hmm. um, until you yeah. actually start seeing like it's like little little instances like that right and then you really can see the impact that your work has um on the people that you're you're you know there mm -hmm. to help and um i think that that's just such a great reminder of why we do the things that we do right and why um i guess sel specific why sel is so important in you know in the classroom and working with um groups of kids and trying to develop that empathic relationship with the teacher as well as the student, you know, not just amongst the kids, you know, trying to mm -hmm. create it amongst um, them and their peers, but also, you know, from teacher to student, teacher to, to child, like that empathic relationship is so important both ways. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. it really changes, you know, the development, the, the kids' development moving forward. It really has a huge impact on them, I believe, um, from from a young age through you know their mm -hmm. adulthood um and so like I said thank you for sharing that story really um <laughs> made me feel some type of way and you know really like I said um just kind of yeah. gets at how important the work we do is and how much it means you know at the end of the day yeah um so yeah yeah and like I said this this woman is an amazing woman and if she hadn't had that sense of her self-awareness and like cultural humility to be able to be like, wow, I like, I'm going to take a step back and see what happened here and I'm going to do better. Like that's what we need more of is people to right. be, you know, humble and live in that humility a little bit and say, 
I'm not going to get it right the first time. I'm not going to get it right every time, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to work. And, um, you know, it takes a certain sense of person to be able to do that. Right. It's also like a, like a sense of like checking your privilege, you know, like, you know, these little things that you take, I don't want to say take for granted, but you don't realize, you know, that you have that others may not. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it takes that ability to check your own privilege Mm -hmm. Um, working in those communities, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's such an important um, absolutely ability to have, I think. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. so absolutely, I kind of want to go off of um, you know work in elementary school and middle school settings and the role of DEI. Um, mm-hmm. And so, what what role do you think? DEI or individual competencies of DEI plays within SEL? Oh my gosh, it's, it's so important, right? Like, again, going back to, you know, you mentioned identity, um, being aware of your own identities, I think that um, it's such a foundational thing, right? So like, I'm not super familiar with what happens in elementary and middle school settings. But I do know that there's a lot of learning and a lot of processing happening, a lot of, um, you know, brain, actual, like, physical brain development happening during those formative years. Um, And I think it's just a matter of what what I tell my students, too, in college is, like, we all have to start somewhere. Um, And for some, some of the college students where I start is terminology. I'm like, you've heard some of these words, you've heard diversity, you've heard equity, you've heard inclusion, but what do they really mean? You've heard justice, you've heard, you know are they all the same? Do they all mean the same thing? And some of my students don't know, right? They don't know what the terms mean. Um, They don't know what the different social identities are, right? Like, what is a transgender person? What is the, what does it mean to be white? What does it mean to be Hispanic versus to be Latino or Latina or to be Costa Rican or Puerto Rican, right? Like, they, they, truly don't always have the same set of competencies around just terminology, just basic definitions. And so I think that, again, bringing in that cultural humility where you can say, okay, I thought that diversity meant this, and I've seen it used in this way on social media or on the news, but now I'm understanding that it means something a little different. And that it's actually totally different from the word inclusion and inclusiveness Um, and being able to take a step back and say, okay, unlearn what you learned in the past and um, try to apply a new definition, a new meaning, one that we can all work with together and we can build on and we can change if we need to. But one that lies in truth, one that lies in um, a sense of community where we can all get behind a definition, I think is sometimes like the first starting point. Um, and again, being able to do that is just being like, not afraid to understand then how you're defined, right? So sometimes we talk about whiteness. I don't know how we can't talk about whiteness. And for some students, that's like, whoa, I've never been the person of discussion in a classroom. Like, whiteness is a problem and like for some students they're hearing that for the first time Mm -hmm. and um to be able to have those conversations students have to have a certain sense of maturity of security that they know that um you know we're not attacking you we're having conversations across difference and it's not a debate it's a dialogue Mm -hmm. And it's not always a discussion, it's a dialogue, which means that we're going to go back and forth. Um, and and sometimes what we've learned in, in the media, unfortunately, is that everything has to be a debate and there has to be a winner. And in dialogue, that's not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, there can just be dialogue across difference. And we hold things to be true, right? Like respect, safety, basic human rights, you know, those things are non-negotiables. But we can have dialogue, and we can do it in a way where then I leave understanding you better and you leave understanding me better. And that's it. It doesn't mean that you have completely changed me from being a Christian to, to being in a different religion. It just means that I understand you better now, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think really just having like those baseline conversations about definitions, terminology is really important. Um, and to be able to do that, you have to have a certain sense of awareness about yourself, empathy, humility, um, humbleness, 
forgiveness, acceptance, all within yourself before you can go out and have conversations with other people. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the quote you shared with us in our last meeting. Um, you'll always be safe, but you might be uncomfortable. Um, and I had re- written that down because I thought it was so yes. true. Like, you know, we're, we have to have a safe space yeah. to have these conversations as even though you may feel uncomfortable, we have to still create that safe space to have them mm-hmm. because they're important and necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. It also reminded me a lot about our previous conversation with uh, Dr. Chaco in our last episode about, I mentioned how you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because mm-hmm. in all of the spaces you may find yourself, more often than not, you're going to find people that have many more differences than similarities than you. So it's learning and understanding um, the like all of the other perspectives that are surrounding you and um, I guess being empathetic and um understanding of what like where their um I guess perspectives may be rooted from their culture or their social background or just their entire background um and actually you Mm -hmm. everything that you mentioned reminded me a lot about um our initial meeting where we talked about um you mentioned intergroup dialogue um and how um Mm. like you said it's not really, it shouldn't be considered a debate. It, it should be considered dialogue because, um, but because we're, we're essentially coming together and having conversations similar to like what we're doing now on this podcast with you. Um, and it shouldn't just be like separate parties being defensive about certain opinions or certain mm-hmm. perspectives that they may hold. It's mm-hmm. more so coming together to listen to separate perspectives and, try to see how all perspectives can be incorporated into the community or whatever organization we're trying to um, enforce or grow. Um, And Mm -hmm. in regards to Mm -hmm. the intergroup dialogue, it just also reminded me, I I remember when we had that conversation, it just reminded me about, um, again, I mentioned this with Dr. Chaco in our latest episode about being a better global citizen and just um, learning and understanding Mm -hmm. the different identity groups, social identity, racial identity, ethnicity, all of those different Mm -hmm. identity groups that we may be a part of, um, similar to like how we all hold different hats Mm -hmm. for like different positions that we may hold. Um, And it ties in with your uh, conversation about like being socially and culturally aware, but also in order for that to happen, um, being self-aware. So that that was something that I found very salient. Mm -hmm. And I I definitely agree with you on the need for self-awareness in that regard. So I guess um, kind of shifting gears a bit, um, you mentioned a lot about like the classroom setting and specifically higher education because that's what you're more familiar with. And I know we talked about this in our initial meeting about Mm -hmm. um, inclusion, like that component of DEI. Um, What do you think or what should leadership look like when working in classrooms, whether it be inclusive, combined, special education, general education? What do you think um, that should look like? I know you mentioned a little bit about what it should like with mm-hmm. should look like with the context of social-emotional learning as well as social-emotional character development, but I'd be interested to see um, or to hear about your insights with regard to um, like different classrooms that we may find ourselves in. Yeah, so, yeah, my, my specialty really lies in, like, higher ed classrooms, but I think that there's a lot that can be, you know, taken and morphed into what could work in an elementary school or high school. But um, I recently did a certificate program on inclusive pedagogies for the classroom um, that Rutgers offered, and it was wonderful. Um, And it just really walked us through how we can deliver instruction for all kinds of students that learn differently, that may have different um, physical abilities, um, social, emotional, mental, you know, mental health awareness as well. And I really, one of the most beautiful things I learned about it is that when you build an inclusive classroom, you are really building a classroom that is going to help every single student succeed. Um, And 
I know that sounds so simple, but it, it's so, you know, when you hear about like, oh, you have to do the special things on Canvas, you have to do this, you have to do that. And it's like, oh, am I just doing this for one student? And, you know, it's so much work and it can be frustrating and then there's a big learning curve. But it's the truth is when you design like that from the beginning, when you design your spaces, your instruction, whether it's, um, you know, a, a learning management system like Canvas or you're actually going into the classroom or you're doing a little bit of both, when you design like that from the very beginning you're actually helping all of your students succeed in the classroom um, you might have students in your space that are undiagnosed with a certain disability and they're just moving forward and they might think that they're struggling and they're not getting it but you're but when you design with that perspective in mind that students need to learn in different modalities they need to have um, you know instruction delivered in different ways some students thrive in group settings some students do better working individually and so you mix that up i think having inclusive pedagogies in your classroom sets up all of your students and it also sets yourself up too because it's never a boring day in the classroom like you can be doing uh, you know you could be showing a video for half of the class and then doing small group discussions you could be doing a little bit of lecture and then having students do a lecture back to you um, you could have students working in pairs and small groups and so it really makes teaching dynamic it makes it fun um, and you're really doing a service to all of the students in your space because you're giving them the chance to learn um, in different ways and so I know like the traditional classroom setting is Teacher at the front, students sitting down, teacher has all the knowledge, students know nothing, and we just dump information into them. Um, and that's such an old way of thinking. I mean, I know it's still around, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but especially at Rutgers when we have, like, lecture halls of 500 students, like, how can you do this? But, you know, it's such a – I'm lucky enough to be in really small classrooms where I have less than 25 students. Um, and so – it's such, like, I don't even call myself a teacher sometimes. I'm like, I'm a facilitator. I'm a facilitator of your knowledge. <laughs> like, there's a whole bunch of stuff you all know that I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff I know that you don't know. And so, like, let's be in dialogue together and let's learn together. Um, and, you know, when you bring that humility into the classroom, when you bring your whole self into the classroom, like, they see you as a person and not just as this, like, figure at the front of the room, you really are working to break down those barriers. And so it's a mixture of, like, inclusive pedagogies, um, you know, the real concrete stuff, right? Like, don't put small lettering on your slides, that doesn't serve anybody, um, to just being able to say, my name is Karina, and I have three sisters, and, you know, just bringing your personality into the space is, I feel, another inclusive pedagogy that we're not used to talking about. Um, so it's like, it's bringing your authentic self, inclusive pedagogy, um, and being in dialogue with your students, I think, is one of the most important things we can do for all of our students to make them all succeed really. I think that the work or the way that you work in the classroom kind of um, like shows that SEL does work in higher education. That's just something that um, that's been something that's been on my mind, you know, working with the lab because we typically work with, you know, grammar school, middle school age students. And, you know, that's really the age group um, of our work that we focus on. But, you know, I've been, you know, questioning why is that same importance of SEL not in higher education, you know, mm -hmm. because we're, like you said, we're still learning both, you know, the professor and the students, you know, we're still, we're still learning adult, even though we're adults, mm -hmm. we still, you know, continue, are continuing that um, learning. And so you, the way that you, you know, are, um, are running your classroom, I guess, it kind of just shows that, you know, SEL can still work in higher education, no matter the age. And I think that that's, I think that that's great. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's, it's so important to maintain throughout all of development, you know, development mm -hmm. doesn't just stop when you're, you know, become a teenager, like it continues, mm -hmm. it, you know, throughout, you know, our older ages. And so mm -hmm. I appreciate, you know, maybe <laughs> you're not doing it on purpose, but you know, <laughs> um, kind of subconsciously, you know, promoting SEL practice in your classroom. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, and that's great. So. Sorry to add in here. I, I think also it relates yeah. to like, like you said earlier, um, always continuing to learn. And mm -hmm. we always talk about how, or everyone always says like, you should go continue on to like get your master's degree or your doctorate in order to um, become better or better understand what it is that you're trying to do specifically, whether it be 
like us, we're trying to get a master's in psychology or whether it be a doctorate in something like physics or chemistry, but mm-hmm. um, it's never really talked about like the, right. the social, emotional, and just like the behavioral or like the well-being, the whole aspect of the person. And I think, like Sabrina mm-hmm. mentioned, you do a great job of like inadvertently promoting that, which I think is a great, <laughs> great job. And I think that we need more of that, especially in higher yeah. education. I mean, you both are you both are making me realize that I do it. I didn't even know I did it. <laughs> but it's really, it's, I think it's the way, again, I think, you know, if you know a little bit about inclusive pedagogies, and I'm definitely not an expert, but, like, it, it's just, it's serving the whole student, right? It's, like, looking at all of their identities, all of their needs, and being able to address them. Um, and there's a certain level of, like, authenticity in, in the work that... Um, you don't you haven't always seen in higher education and I'm sure you both have experienced it too as undergrads and maybe even in grad school that you you might not have a relationship with your professor it's just you're there to learn get your information and walk out the door um but education to me is so much more than that it's it's more about the dialogue it's more about being the humble expert quote-unquote right like students are always going to look at you as the expert because you're in front of the classroom but I make mistakes. I make sure to make mistakes in front of them because I'm like, this is real life. (laughs) People make mistakes. (laughs) And so, you know, being humble and just being um, your authentic self really does, you know, I think promote SEL as well. Definitely. I would agree with that. And I think, yeah, like you said, the authenticity or I guess genuineness of the Mm -hmm. professor or I guess since you don't want to say that you're necessarily like the teacher and have this higher authority, I mean, um, technically you do because you have that experience and that background behind you but Mm -hmm. um, I guess the correct term would be mentor to help Mm -hmm. the children and whoever you're trying to um, like grow past like their Mm -hmm. academics but also as people as community members um, you're trying to Mm -hmm. I guess sow the seeds of like knowledge (laughs) in addition to um, just like empathy and self-awareness all of those components of what it means to be uh, a good person and what it means to be a good community member right I mean and I'm not naive to the fact I know I put the grades and at the end of the day (laughs) the students know that (laughs) Uh, but I really do try to say you know this is you are all starting off this class with a hundred percent so you can only go down from here so I really try to go in with that mindset um and I try to let them be involved in the process of coursework as much as possible so one of the things I do in my class um when possible is I ask them look at the syllabus what assignment do you want to be eliminated like which one are you looking at and you're just like oh my gosh I'm dreading this um and I I do small assignments so it's not like one 15 page paper one 15 page paper that's your whole grade so if they eliminated one it would be like really hard to grade them I do small like small things that are again scaffolding so I'm like which one are you least looking forward to and then we talk about it in class we're like okay what is your fear behind it can we work through it would you like to eliminate that assignment how would you change it how would you make it different um that way they feel like they have like a say in in their learning process. And again, you have to be humble and you have to have humility to be able to do that because if you don't and you think you're the expert and the head of the classroom, um, that can hurt your ego a little bit. So you have to take your ego out of it and just make it a joint learning process. And students have the best ideas. They have better ideas than me. And I'll I'll stick to that till the day I die. (laughs) They they really do. So um, I lean on them for their expertise. That's great. I wish I had more professors that, that, that work like that as well. That would that would make life so much easier. It's not always um, possible, but when it is, try to yeah. be flexible. Right, yeah. I mean, that's all it takes is just that, that mutual understanding, you know, and mm-hmm. showing that at least you are willing to hear your students. I mean, that makes the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of wanted to shift gears from um, – our discussion and kind of talk more about your research and your research background. Um, mm-hmm. Would you be able to tell us a little about the work you do or have done with advancing women in computer science? Yes. Oh, here's where I nerd out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Please, <it> is, by <laughs> all means. 
It's a wonderful group. Okay, so Advancing Women in Computer Science um, started here as a collaborative effort between um, Douglas College and the Computer Science Department in SAS. And um, we get funding from, you know, we've gotten funding from a lot of different places to run this project. And it's really a group of thought leaders around the university who are invested in making a change in the computer science field for women to increase the representation of women in the major, to increase the, the graduation rates, to increase recruitment, to look at their experiences in computer science. And so there's deans that sit on the committee, there's um, external evaluators, and then there's me, this little tiny little researcher on the team <laughs> who's doing um, a lot of qualitative research. So I was hired to to be a research assistant on the team. And it's been a lot of me sitting in on meetings and listening and learning about the problems that are, you know, the problems we have, but then also getting the chance to go out into the field and talk to students who are in computer science. Um, so I was a part of two, kind of two qualitative studies. The first one was a large qualitative study where we interviewed undergraduate women on their experiences around sense of belonging, what made them feel like they belonged in the field, what experiences did they have that positively impacted their confidence. Um, because we know that confidence has a strong correlation to belonging. Um, who they are as students, why they chose the major, why did they stay, why did they leave? Um, and that work was really interesting because, again, we got to hear straight from the students what their experiences were like. And I loved it. Um, you know, we interviewed about 25 students, undergraduates, um, all in different um, years, class years. And so then my dissertation this kind of, you know, sparked my interest in my dissertation of being, well, I want to talk about women in computer science, but I want to see what the experience is like for Black and Latina women in computer science, because I bet it's not the same. And I bet there's something else going on there. And the numbers are so low for this population in computer science. Um, and it's not just here at Rutgers that they're low. They're low nationally. Um, like, I'm talking... I can count on one hand how many black women are probably graduating in computer science in a particular yeah. university. And so yeah. um, wanting to hear from them specifically about what their experiences are like, what does that intersectional experience look like for being a woman of color in the field of computer science when you're surrounded by mostly men and then mostly Asian and white men or Asian women? Um, and so we know that those experiences are going to look different. We know that the students are going to have different backgrounds. And so I've spent a lot of time with a cohort of students interviewing them, talking to them about their experiences, you know, what was their pre-college experience life like, what has it been like here at Rutgers, and I've just really gotten to learn. I'm in the data analysis phase right now, so I can't give you any like, you know, these are my big findings. But just reading over their transcripts and hearing about some of the experiences they have in classrooms that are not always the most friendly or welcoming. Um, students that experience a lot of self-doubt because they're the only one, right? They're the only black woman in a class. They're the only Latina woman Um doing this type of work, right? Um, hearing the different experiences of our Latina women, some having family members that are pushing them to finish and saying, you have to finish this, you have to finish this. Other family members that don't understand what their, their child is doing, right? They don't understand why they can't help out more around the household, why they can't take care of their younger siblings. So you, we have these different experiences of women here in, in the field. And we're really this concerted effort of like keeping them in computer science, recruiting them in computer science, graduating them in computer science. And it's, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, what I will say is that Rutgers has one of the most dedicated teams working on this that are really passionate about making changes, about making the experience for women in computer science better. Um, it's proven through this Advancing Women in Computer Science initiative. It's proven through the work the faculty have done around this initiative, um, around the leadership around this between the deans and the chancellors committing to um, making this a better, a better place for women. And so that's, that's what really drives me and inspires me is to know that we have such a dedicated team behind us and that my research will hopefully be able to tell a story of it's not a large number of students, but it'll be able to tell a story of these Black and Latina women in the field here at Rutgers and 
what we do with that story is up to us and how we make changes is up to us. Um, but I feel like it's my little slice of contribution to, to the field and to the team and really to the university. Um, so I'll keep you posted on when that dissertation is finished. <laughs> we have a few more months left, but um, that's, that's kind of my work with the team right now. I think it's also your contribution to beloved community at Rutgers as well. Um, and so I think that that's, that's great. Now, are the, the people that you're including in your study, is that only here at Rutgers or is that, you know, across universities? Nationally? Yeah. So I'm, I'm only looking at students at Rutgers. Um, I think okay. that, yeah, I think that's a valid question though. And it's a research that needs to be done is to look across universities as well at the experiences. I mean, it's, it's always tough, but I think that that's great. You know, you're starting right here in your own backyard and mm -hmm. that's, I think that's, will make your work that much more meaningful as well. And I'm excited to see, you know, the outcome of it and definitely share Me too. <laughs> um, when it's completed. <laughs> yes, please keep us posted on all of your findings and everything. And like Sabrina said, I feel like it relates to our conversation earlier about like starting within your own community and then moving more mm -hmm. outward. Hopefully that can yeah. definitely be something that is done in the future. Um, and I guess relating to that, speaking as like we're both women too who are graduate students, mm -hmm. but... Um, what advice would you give to uh, women who are in the STEM field or specifically mm -hmm. the computer science field with regard to like the research that you've done and um, I guess some of the experience that experiences that previous mm -hmm. or um, other women have faced in being in mainly a male dominated um, field as well as mm -hmm. um, a, a field that isn't really um, I guess they're considered the minority. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say of all of the women I've talked to um, have been pretty high achieving. Um, you know, that's why they're still there. And one of the things that they mostly all have in common was that they found a community of supporters. Um, and whether that community be they made friends with two people in their first course and just kind of stuck with them, whether that community was a student org and they were just a member um, a lot of the students I talked to were part of student orgs, but part of leadership teams on the student orgs. Um, a lot of the students found community at Douglas. Um, a lot of students found community in, in doing research projects. And so I would say the sooner you can find your community, and this is so much easier said than done, but the sooner you can find your community, stick with them, um, because they will be like your support system when you think things aren't going well. Um, with that said, it's difficult. It's difficult to find your community when you're the only person in a classroom, right? Um, and so like some practical things I tell students are is like check your email, look for opportunities, advocate for yourself. Um, I always say you miss an email, you miss an opportunity because so many things come through email these days and um, you know you want to be on top of that. But find your community early. The second thing I would say is don't sacrifice your mental health or, or well-being for, for this, this stuff. Um, I, you know, I've had students tell me that they've left the field because they just were so unhappy. It was not good for them emotionally. It was not good for them physically or mentally. Um, and I would say your health and wellness has to come first. Um, it just does. Because if you're not, you know, if you're not healthy and well, what's the point of doing all of this? So there's there becomes a point where, like, people are tired of being resilient. And I get that. And so try to um, always prioritize your mental health and well-being. That, that has to be number one. Um, and I guess the third thing is so cheesy, but I would say, you know, don't give up after you fail the first few times because failure is part of the process. And there's research that's out there that says that men will get a C in a class and be extraordinarily happy and continue in the major and women will get a C and they will drop out of the major and think that that's a failure. And so I'd say just, um, you know, try to believe in yourself and allow yourself to, to fail when you need to. Um, but don't look at that failure as like the end all be all of it because, um, people have come back from way more and, there's opportunity in, in your community. There's opportunity specifically here at Rutgers. There's people that care about you. So um, I would say those those three things would be my piece of advice. And they're all easier said than done, and I know that. So I'll just I'll leave that caveat there. Well, no, I think you worded that really well. And, um, I mean, 
you're speaking to someone who also like has trouble with learning how to deal with failures. Like in my own personal experience in my undergrad, I also started off in the STEM field and specifically mm -hmm. in the um, health science realm. And whenever I would get a grade lower than a C or I would get a C, I would definitely be discouraged and doubtful. And there was a moment where I did actually drop out of one of my courses because of that. So hearing you say mm -hmm. that and hearing that from, I, I guess, a professor is really reassuring. And I think other students may find salience in that as well. And your discussion on not letting that get the best of your mental health or well-being, again, ties into self-awareness and just knowing yourself, mm -hmm. knowing your limits and just learning to listen to your body, I guess. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess um, tying into that, we, we kind of talked about this briefly in the beginning, but I would be interested to hear about, um, I guess, tying it back into SECD, what are some elements of social-emotional character development or SEL that you already see being implemented in your community or you would like to see being implemented in your community at Rutgers, um, whether it be with the Advancing Women in Computer Science um, initiative or whether it be with your work with Be the Change for New Jersey, that's the, mm -hmm. apart from Rutgers, but yeah. Yeah, so I think that something that um, sadly COVID has taught us is that um, mental health and well-being should always be a priority and it always hasn't been in the past and talking to students over the last two years um, we've all, all of our conversations that have to do with COVID and learning and school and education mental health and well-being has always 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 come up and so I think that um, in order to you know move us forward in a positive direction with SEL sort of at the center is being able to prioritize that for our students and what does that look like and we I don't want to go off on a tangent here but we sadly live in a capitalistic society where we put that aside for productivity and it's what we're taught like it's what we're taught from I don't even know probably kindergarten like be productive do your work get your work done um, maybe put your emotions aside and get your work done. And it's what we're taught, but it's not always the best thing for us. And we have learned that, um, you know, there have been some some universities where students have just really, it has taken a toll on them. And, you know, in worst case scenarios, you have suicide rates going up at universities because students are so stressed out. And they're so burnt out and they're trying to spin their wheels um, in these areas that at the end of the day don't matter if you're not feeling well, if you're not feeling like your best self. So I think centering um, mental health and well-being is something that is absolutely essential to the work that we do. Um, I think that I'll go back to this again, cultural humility, being able to know when you're wrong and, and do better and move forward is really something that needs to be centered as well. And that's on both ends, right? So like you can say, oh, I know I, I messed up there, but allowing that person back in to continue the work and not completely like, you know, cancel culture saying, oh, they messed up, they can never get this right again. No, it's we need to be in dialogue with people and know that people will make mistakes, but as long as they continue to do the work and work on themselves that um, they should be entered back into the work. I mean, we need people. We need people. We need numbers. We need uh, manpower behind this work. So having that cultural humility, I think, is really important. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there for now. But I think, you know, mental health, well-being and cultural humility are absolutely essential. That cultural humility aspect. I think a lot of people think that, like, you can you can either be all or nothing with that. Yes. Like, you know, either you're an expert or you just don't know anything about it and it doesn't apply to you. Yeah. But I think that that couldn't be more far from the truth. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think that there's not, I don't think there's one person that is an expert in cultural humility. You know, no. we're always, you can always learn more. Mm -hmm. You can always be taught um, something new, you know, culturals, cu culture is ever changing, you know? And yeah. so there's, there's never, um, a point where you can say, oh, I know everything about it. I'm like the expert on it. Right, and so exactly, exactly. And and the real experts, quote unquote experts, will say that. They'll start with that. Right. Lead with that, that we, I don't know everything. And um, it's not fun to know everything because then you, you never get to learn. <laughs> right, exactly. And so just keeping that in mind, like, you know, moving forward, it just, 
it creates that beloved community even more at mm -hmm. Rutgers too, because it's like knowing every single person on the campus is capable of it, yeah. you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't take years of schooling and focuses on cultural culture and right. DEI to, to do it. You know, it just takes you being a person. Right. <laughs> it yes. just takes you being a person you don't, you here don't, on campus. Yeah. You don't need any fancy degree. You don't need any fancy title. Um, and like, that's what Rutgers is, right? Like we're not just our faculty, staff and students. We are the community, like the greater community right. of New Brunswick. There's a relationship there. And it's, I know that the university values that relationship and wants to build on it in ways that are really positive. And so it, you know, you don't have to be the senior director of DEI to do this work or to care. Um, you don't right. have to have a PhD or a master's degree to do this work and care. And so it's really about in being inclusive of everyone who makes up our community, which is our community is so large, right? We go beyond the walls of Rutgers, New Brunswick. Exactly. Well, thank you for that. And I think that wraps up all yeah. of our biggest questions and in regards to the conversation that we're having today but before we let you go I guess we have one more final question and it's just like what are some things that you would like to tell your younger self um, like at whatever age you may have been um, what would you like to what advice would you like to give her and why <laughs> um, I would just say to not okay so I have like um kind of like you were saying Erica like you're you know when you get that C or that bad grade you want to like give up and move on I would say just to be kinder to myself and to not have the all or nothing mentality that um you can do something and that's still enough and that's still positive and so just like being generally kinder to myself in that I'm not going to know it all and I'm not going to be an expert in it all but that as long as I'm willing to work and be authentic and be in partnership and be in community with people, that that's okay too. Um, and I think that's something we need to, you know, sometimes the academy is very all or nothing, very, you know, have that PhD or you don't know anything. And I think it's definitely not here at Rutgers, but I know in other places it can be like that. Um, or definitely not the spaces I've experienced at Rutgers. Um, but yeah, just n not having that all or nothing mentality, be kinder to myself um, and just be open to learning new things and being around new people. Uh, it's scary. It's This is really also very difficult work. Like I don't want to leave without saying that. This is all difficult work. This is lifelong learning. Um, but as long as you have that self-awareness and relationship with yourself, um, you're able to you know be kind, forgive yourself and move forward in ways that make sense for yourself and for community. I mean, that's what social justice work, I think, is all about. Yes, yeah, and I think you tie into another competency of SEL, which is like relational and relationships and just knowing that you're mm -hmm. not alone in whatever you're doing, whether it may be your individual work in academia or something that you're really into, like a hobby, you're gonna mm -hmm. have a support system and it's important that you be willing and be accepting of the help that you may receive and it's not just you who's there trying to charge along and complete Absolutely. that goal um, so yeah. yeah yeah thank you for sharing that advice definitely I'll take it <laughs> for myself as well I think it's yeah, great I'm advice to share I'm gonna take it now for right. myself <laughs> I think it's great so thank you thank you for sharing that and we want to thank you so much for joining us today and providing our audience with all of this information. I think it was full of like rich like insight in regards to self-awareness as well as how to use our self-awareness to be better members of the community and in the various communities or places that mm -hmm. we may have a specific space in. Um, and we just wanted to provide this opportunity for you to just make any closing remarks, perhaps like leave the audience with some insight of where we can find you on the website, internet, um, where we can find yeah. specific organizations that you may be a part of. So that way, if they're interested, they can look to it as well. Yeah, no, thank you both so much, Erica and Sabrina, for inviting me. I think that this is like a very important conversation. I love that I'm doing SEL work and I didn't even know it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that we can forget often that um, SEL matters in higher education. And um, 
it just matters and you have to bring it in. And I think I learned that through speaking with both of you and through doing the inclusive pedagogies workshop that I did with the, I think it was with the Center for Continuing Studies here at Rutgers. And so just want to boost them a little bit for providing that for all of the faculty staff here at the university. Um, no, I just, I appreciate the opportunity. And um, so I work at Douglas College. Um, I think it's douglas.rutgers.edu and my email is there. Um, I'll give you both the email and Gmail account for Be The Change NJ. We're always looking for volunteers. Right now we're doing one of the largest humanitarian efforts in getting supplies over to the Ukrainian and Polish border. Um, so we actually have contacts that that are there on the ground and so we've been collecting items and raising money to get them shipped which you can only imagine is an incredible cost an incredible team effort to get that done um so it's probably one of the larger projects we've ever worked on um in the whole lifespan of our organization and so i definitely want to you know get that out to the listeners if there's anyone who wants to be involved we are mostly doing work in like the Middlesex area, like collecting and, and volunteer and donations. So um, we have a few different um, bases in like Highland Park, um, Somerset. Uh, so it's a very, you know, local, local organization to the community. So um, I'll definitely get that information out to you. And um, my Twitter's not that great. So I won't give my Twitter handle yet. <laughs> We're working on building that up. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to anyone can email me with any questions at any time. I'm really happy to chat and make new connections across the university. Thank you. We'll, we'll be sure to link all the information down, you know, in the um, Spotify, wherever we post it, we'll have it linked. And I just want to we just want to thank you too for all the work that you you've done and continue to do. I think it's it's all great work, and um, I'm excited to get it out there for more people to hear about and and follow. So thank you. Yes, thank you. All right, so I think that's pretty much all we have for you today, listeners. We hope you thoroughly enjoyed tuning into our podcast. Um, we will have all of the information on Corinna um, out on our Spotify and everywhere else you can get your podcast listening to. Um, as always, make sure to check out sccdlab.org and at sccdlab on Twitter and Spotify and Apple Podcasts to stay in the loop with SEL and podcast updates. Have a great day, everybody.